Last week, we just spent some time in the presence of God and imagining what our God is, who he is, and how amazing, immense, and powerful he is. Um, and this week, we're actually going to continue to talk about God a little more in depth and take a bit more idea from the Old Testament about our corporate gathering. So W3 is a series on corporate worship, standing for why we worship. And it's also representative of the three persons of the Godhead that we serve. Um, we serve God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And each message is going to kind of have an emphasis on one of those because each one of them plays an important role in our understanding of corporate worship. So last week we spent some time imagining God. This week we're going to take some very practical examples and discussion from the Old Testament on how God influences our worship. So I'm just going to open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so worthy of our praise. God, you are incredible, powerful, amazing, wise, beautiful. And Lord, we have the honor and privilege of joining in a community that's built around you and celebrating each other and building each other up. And God, I just ask that as we continue to move through this series that you've placed on, our, on my heart, God, that you would speak to us deeply and really expand our knowledge and our, our recognition and ideas of what it means to be together, gathered, worshiping you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to pose this question right at the beginning. When I say the term corporate worship, what is the first thing that comes to mind? You can spend some time in Slack here. I'm, I'll actually just take a minute here, um, and I want to encourage you to throw your ideas in Slack just for a moment. So when I say corporate worship, what does that mean? It's not a trick question. There's a lot of answers. We all come from a lot of different churches, a lot of backgrounds. We all have different ideas of what that term means. And so I'd, I'd like to just kind of hear what some of you have when you, or think of when I say that. Because um, it's going to be really helpful talking about our corporate gathering if we can identify the commonalities we share, the, the weaknesses we might have, or blind spots. Um, and that's a really good way to start expanding it. I know for me, corporate worship initially seems to trend on the side of worship music. This is because I'm a musical person. This is because for the past few years, the church has actually kind of defined corporate worship as the, the musical worship part of our service, um, which is also partially why we're doing this series, because I really want to take the chance to help us expand that idea. Um, so I see some things coming in. So someone also said music. Uh, doing things that give glory to God. Church. These are, all, these are all correct, by the way, so far. Um, the way we praise God as a church, uh, everything we do for the Lord. Uh, when I hear corporate worship, I think of church service. That's a very common one. Um, and it's actually going to be the focus of this series. Uh, corporate worship, singing and instruments. There's some more, some more music there as well. And these, these ideas, I wanted, you, you, can keep, you can keep sending these in, and I'm going to keep going here. So... It's not a trick question. Corporate worship is a lot of things. There's a lot of elements of it. And sometimes what happens in church is we tend to pigeonhole these definitions to things that we're used to. So even at Promise, we're guilty of this, saying corporate worship. When we say worship, we are often talking about the praise and musical worship of our services. Um, but we really want to expand that definition during the series because corporate worship is so much more than that. If it was just music, there's a ton of you in here that would just this wouldn't be valuable, this wouldn't be worth your time, you're not musical, you don't engage with music, it's very challenging for you, then this gathering would mean nothing if that's all we did. And that's why that's not all we do. So I want to clarify, when I'm talking about corporate worship in this series, I am not necessarily talking about worship music. This is a series on what corporate worship is in the general sense, biblically speaking and contemporarily speaking. Um, if I had to put it in a really nice, simple definition, um, 
Corporate worship is everything that we do and the ways we express and honor the God, uh, honor our God as a gathered group of believers. Um, Sunday morning is the clearest example of this, but it is not the only example of this. Corporate worship can be something like being a part of a promise group when you're gathered and you're, you're building each other and you're honoring God through gathering in that way. It can be when you're out in the community doing service, helping with another group of believers. Anytime a group of us, a group of believers gathers, this is corporate worship. So this is actually what, what, what the point of this series is going to be is actually kind of expanding what Sunday morning is. This is one of our most traditional uh, places where we actually partake in corporate worship. Um, and this has been the way for in church for years, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, a lot of it's going to come out in next week's when we talk about Jesus, because Jesus has a huge influence on why we gather on Sunday and why we sing songs about Jesus and, and how that changes. Um, but in general, Sunday morning is the clearest example we have of a corporate gathering. That's continual. Um, and I want to start, once again, kind of at the center of it all, which is, which is God and, and who we are as humans and why that matters in our gathering. So we serve a triune God. Again, this is title of the series, W3. We serve a triune God, and he is a God who exists as a being in community. I'm not, again, not going to spend too much time here because this is, this could be 10-week sermon series if we went into it, but Josh Dale also actually preached a few months ago um, a message on the dance and this, this relationship that God has with himself in this trinity, so Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, but what we see in that dance, in that image of a triune God, is a being united as one in a community. He is a community in, in and of himself. He is a community. Um, we believe this, kind of, we take this for granted as it's just our church tradition. Again, there's a lot of reason for that, and we're not going to get into too much of it here. But the point is that we were created with, with that as part of the image of God. So in Genesis 1, 27, 28, we'll start there. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And in Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make a helper fit for him. So what we see, what do we see in these two passages? The first, the first is that we were not created to be alone. Now, when we hear that, in the context when it's talking about male and female, we can tend to think that that's just a gender thing, so we weren't, man wasn't created to be without woman. Um, but it's actually a lot more than that. It's not just God saying we were meant to be together. It's actually, or we, sorry, we were, not, we were not meant to be alone. We share that as, hey, we were made in the image of God. God is communal, and therefore we are communal. We are, we are actually, we were created out of the community of love that God just is. Um, and so we weren't created to be alone. And the other thing is that God always intended to be with his people. So it's not just a community between us as humans. It's actually the community that we have as humans with God. And it's just this huge community. And, and that passage, that's one of those kind of underlying themes that isn't always kind of identified or shown. Uh, and the second thing is that God designed us to be in community, so much so that we are actually able to create community. I mean, we were, he gave us the ability to procreate. This is what other representation do we need of being able to create our own community, just biologically and, and socially, this is what we do as beings. Um, I think one of the most obvious examples that as humans, being communal is what we are, is if you look at the prism system, kind of a downer, but for a second, just stay with me. So 
what's, how, do we, how do we punish or, or, or reprimand, I guess? Punish is the right word. How do we punish people that have broken community? We take them out of community. Once you're, in, once you're taken out of community, what happens when you break that community? Well, they put you into um, solitary. That's it, solitary confinement. So you're even further removed from community because this is punishing. This is, we were not meant to be in isolation. We were not meant to be without each other. Um, so if, I mean, if the Bible doesn't give you enough evidence of that, I hope that little analogy does. Um, and so with that at its center, us as communal beings, we can, that's the only place we can start to understand why we gather on Sunday mornings. So we're going to look a bit in the Old Testament about some of the, the very obvious, some of the clear examples, and some of these, the areas where God kind of introduces corporate worship. And so I want to start this with a question as well. So what similarities or differences do you see between the passages that we're about to read in our current form of worship and what we're about to read? So we're going to start with Exodus 12, 14 here. In Exodus 12, 14, this is a, a little tidbit following the Passover instruction. So God gives the Israelites the Passover. Rob actually read a good chunk of it today for experiential. That was a happy accident. And he, he kind of goes through this process that the Israelites are going to take and, and prepare for God's last plague, which will then be the marker for their liberation from Egypt. Um, and he says this, this day, shall, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. So what we see here is... God, worship is first and foremost prescribed by God and is therefore an invitation. So it's not us making up these ideas of what worship should look like because the responsibility is on us. It's actually God is even taking that first step. God is not, God is not just saying, I want to be in, community, be in community with me. He's saying, well, here's how you can do it. And he gives us an idea. We, this, we see a bit more of this in the next passage we're going to read. But this is, this is a starting place, is that communion or Passover was the first moment that God created something or instituted a corporate worship practice that was going to be, continue for generations. And we still do that in the form of communion. Now, with Jesus, the meaning of that has changed a little, but we're not just celebrating the Passover that was years ago and God liberating his people. We're actually now celebrating much more than that because of what Jesus did. So the second thing we see is that all worship is centered around God's saving action. So the Passover was the marker for the Israelites to move out of Egypt, to be liberated from slavery, and this is now what all of the worship stemmed from. So, so the moment that the institution of corporate worship was really started is when God released the people. So they had, not only did they just have reason, they, they were celebrating. This is now, we're going to do this for generations because of the good work that God has done. And again, we do that to this day. We are still celebrating the saving work of God every time we gather on Sunday by being in community, by singing to Jesus, to singing songs of praise, because we're celebrating God's, God's life in, involvement in our lives. And, and I think that's just an incredibly powerful image. Um, and then we continue. So they, they leave Egypt and they move into, into the desert and they are at Mount Sinai. This is, this is where God kind of gives them the whole outline of how they're going to be governing their society for the next, the next long, long time while they wander in the desert before, before Jesus comes. So Exodus 24, 3 to 8. After I read this, I'll, I'll take a moment and stop on Slack. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And he sent young men of the people of Israel to, who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood and threw it against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And he threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So just to reiterate the question that we asked before, what similarities and differences do you see between those two passages that we just read and what we're doing now? I can think of a lot because there's, there's some blood being thrown around that we're certainly not doing that yet, I guess. Um, so let's just see some, some comments, some good comments here. Uh, If ever there was an example of how we were not created to be alone, it was COVID. Our communal mental and spiritual health failed miserably. And this is really, this is really true. And actually, COVID did a lot more damage than just that to individuals, because COVID actually has now changed how we even see what we're doing here. Again, part of this message and, and why I think it's so timely is because COVID really has changed what it looks like to be gathering as a corporate as a corporate body of believers. You know, we have online, we have people joining us online, we have different ideas of why we should or shouldn't be here. It's all changed over COVID. Um, and, and so this is why this series, I think, is so, is so important. Uh, we are in a community in the body of Christ as we use our gifting. That is 100% true. And we are going to be talking a lot more about that in the fourth week when we talk about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit then steps into the picture and gives us the ability to build community. Uh, we were not created to be alone on earth, so God bought this, brought his only son down to earth. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it could be said that my parents made their own community. They had nine kids, and three of them were their neighbors. That's a big community. God's saving action flows from his loving character, sacrificial agape love. God gave his son, Jesus. God gave his son. Jesus gave his life. This is 100% true. So let's continue here. So worship looks really different in these passages, right? I mean, there's blood being thrown everywhere. There is pillars being set up. It's, it's different in that way, but it's also not entirely different because here's Moses, someone who is taking the words of the Lord and contrib- or sending it out to his people, um, and they are then responding. So what we see here is that Moses just presented all of the people of Israel with the Ten Commandments and, and the, the laws that begin to govern their society moving forward. This is where we talk about the tabernacle, how to, be, how to handle slaves and what you're supposed to eat and not eat. All of this starts coming out here. And again, this is all God prescribed. This isn't some arbitrary thing that people made up because it felt like a good idea. This is God saying, I want you to be a community. I want you to be able to access who I am in community. And I'm going to show you how to do that. And then three books of the Bible gets dedicated to all the ways that they have to follow and all the things they have to follow to make that happen. The tabernacle and the Levitical law were to be done by the people because it it represented who they were. So we have this system implemented that, again, now they're not just solidified around God, who obviously, that, that should just be enough. But how that looks is now explained by God, and they step into that. So this is something they did as people of God. This isn't just something they did because they had to. This is, well, they did have to. It was, it was obedience that they were, that they were following. Um, and these repeating actions that they did, what they would do in the Old Testament is continue to remind themselves of not only the work that God has done, but his continual provision over time. 
it continued to remind them of who they were. If you, could you imagine for a minute, if every single time you had a bad thought, you had to go sacrifice some animal, you're going to be reminded quite a bit of all the things, or, or these, these things that God has done or spoken to you. Um, and so what this also showed is a willingness to identify alongside a community responding to the same invitation. So God invites his people, God shows his people how it is, and then it's on us to then respond. It's on his people to then respond and say, I'm in. And if I'm in, then I have to be doing da-da-da-da-da-da. So why do we gather to worship? We gather to worship because it's who we are. We are people of God gathering around his identity, the identity that we share in him. One of the, one of the very clear ways I can, I can kind of explain this a little more too is when you look at fandom, extreme fandom. So if you're a Leafs fan, it's hard to be, but if you are a Leafs fan, or if you really enjoy music or a certain band, there's, there's this identity you have when you're a Leafs fan. You're, you're not just, I mean, you bleed blue when you're a Leafs fan. The Leafs don't win, we win. We all win when the Leafs win. We all lose, it's devastating. It hurts us, it's actually emotionally frustrating and stressful, and I'm not gonna go on about it because I don't really like hockey on TV because it just drives me nuts, and I always tell myself I'm not going to be engaged in it, and then I get engaged in it, and then I'm disappointed again, it's too much. Because I am a Leaf fan, it's who I am, and I can't help it. And I'm sure that's relatable to a lot of you. But for me personally, one of the clearest examples is I, I'm a big music guy, and one of my favorite bands is U2. And U2 I've seen live a few times in my life, and I'll never forget the first time I went to see them because it was not just a normal concert experience. I mean, this was a spiritual experience for me. It really was. I mean, we, we waited in line. I waited in line with my dad to get into this building. We went super early in the morning, and we stood in line with all these people for hours and hours. We're all talking about, oh, you know, what's your favorite song? Like, why, how did you get into U2? And yada, yada. And here we are, centered around just this band. I've never met you in my life. I've never talked to you in my life. And we have something in common that we can celebrate and we can do together. And then we finally get into the, the actual concert. And of course, the music is powerful and it's, it's a spectacle. I mean, the stage was like this gigantic claw that was traveling all over Canada. It was this big deal. And I'll, I'll just, I won't forget the experience I had. It's like all these people, but we're all kind of the same, but we're just all so different. But we're all celebrating the same thing with as much passion and excitement. I mean, we don't always get that excited about Jesus. We really don't. We have to be honest with ourselves. Um, we have this identity in the little things that we're fans of, and we have no problem just talking people's ears off about it. But here we are with, at the center of our life, everything our life is built on this God who has been faithful through generations, who has done these amazing works. And we just show up on Sunday because that's what you do. We just show up on Sunday. When it's done, it's done. Is Devin going to preach over time? Is he going to be done soon? I want to get lunch. I mean, this is, I'm guilty of this. We're all guilty of this. Sunday, Sunday has become so traditional and so mundane in so many ways. Again, why I wanted to do this sermon series, because that just gets even more strengthened by what we just went through with COVID. So much of our idea of gathering has just been destroyed and changed forever. And now we have to really be thinking and asking ourselves, okay, so why is worship on Sunday? Why is it important? And I'm not accusing anybody, because this is a really important question. It's important, just as the Israelites here, we see them reminding themselves continually of their identity. You think they didn't get bored? All the animals they had to kill, all the things they had to do? I mean, of course, there was mundane, there's monotony to it. But this is just what you do as a people. 
It's not always going to be exciting. It's not always going to be dramatic. It's not always going to be powerful. Sometimes, what, what, well, Rob did an experiential discipleship. That, the stories that we shared, I mean, we, have, we had stories of someone moving, and God did something cool. I mean, if, if you're not looking for it, you'll miss something that simple, because it's not dramatic. There was no accident. There was nothing, nothing exploding. There was nothing, no voice of God speaking loudly. It was just so simple. I needed a car, it was provided, and then something even better happened than I could have ever expected. And this is what we need to be doing when we come here on Sunday. We, we kind of accept for a moment that there's a bit of monotony. We all know it's true. We do things in a routine, we start at the same time, we try to end at the same time, speaking of which, and after all of that, we can get pretty tired of that, and it's sometimes difficult to remind ourselves of why it's so important. And at the end of the day, we do this because it's who we are. We are people of God gathered around his faithfulness and his saving action. We do this because God asks this of us. God commands this of us. And it's our responsibility to be obedient. So that's the, that's the last point I want to make here, is worship is an act of obedience in response to God's invitation and centered around his, his action. So it's not just as simple, we show up on Sunday, yada, yada, Sometimes it's like that. It really does sometimes feel like that. But even on those days, promise, God can do and say incredibly powerful things with incredibly small amount of engagement with people around you. There have been, it could mean the world if you just say hi to someone and they say, oh, I needed to hear that because I haven't been in community for so long. So what I really want to walk away from today, um, we worship because it's who we are. We have reason to worship. It's not just because of who we are. We actually have reason to gather together. We're responsible to be obedient to what God's asked of us. We, we celebrate and remind ourselves continually about the work that God has done by sharing our testimony, by sharing our stories, by showing up. That kind of stuff makes a difference. And that corporate worship is prescribed by God and commanded and initiated. God still does almost all the work. He, he, he does all the work. He sent his son. He told us how to do it. We then say, okay, this is what God wants, and I guess this is what we do. I guess this is, I am, I am a one who believes in God. I am a Christian. I believe in this all-powerful God, and so I'm going to do this because this is what I do. And, of course, this can take, short, take many forms. Sometimes it's not on Sunday. Sometimes it's in the week. Sometimes it's gathering with people that you know and celebrating, sharing testimony, sharing stories of God's faithfulness. This doesn't have to just happen on Sunday, but it can happen all the time on Sunday. I mean, we get to do this every week. It's just a consistent, it's something about being consistent and that routine. It's not always monotonous and bad. It's actually what sets the stage for us to step into something. So when God does do something, we kind of know how to expect it. So you, you can't hear the voice of God. You can't understand how God works until you kind of get into a routine and sometimes he breaks it. And sometimes he uses that routine and he's faithful in the planning and he's faithful in the words that are spoken. And then we are to respond in that. So, let me just take a pause again. We're pretty much at the end here, and I just want to take some time with Slack, see what has been said. Uh-oh. <laughs> Let's see. Leafs fans don't make sense. I 100% agree. I actually am embarrassed to sometimes be a Leaf fan, because it's so sad. So next week for Experience of Discipleship, we get a load of fake blood and have a balloon fight. I don't, I don't know whose blood that's going to be, Carl, so 
Let's start with that discussion first. It was in line at a U2 concert, sorry. It was in line at a U2 concert that I met a Maltese guy. We were best friends for six and a half hours. Exactly. That's like, that's a, such a perfect example. You just, these people you've never seen, you walk away and you think, I love, I love all of you, all 10, 20,000 of you in this building. We all love the same thing, so we all love each other. It's the weirdest experience. And if you've ever been to a concert of a band that you are like really invested in, you'll, you'll understand. You'll understand what that is. Uh, this is a page from the book I shared above, below. It says, everybody worships. Everybody worships. It's just a matter of what or whom we serve. That is a great, that is a great quote. We really do. We all worship something. It, it could be something small. It could be something like, something like our hobby. Something we're really, some people worship the Leafs, really. And it, it really just does take a moment to kind of assess that sometimes and say, okay, so who do we worship? Like, who are we going to worship? And sometimes that takes a lot of sacrifice, putting something else aside. So why is worship important? It isn't entertainment, it's, it is mundane, but it builds our identity. Um, I think to build community, we should all, we should all get together to watch Sharknado. We're not going there again. We're not going there again. Uh, together as a community, we respond to God and the things he has revealed to us about his character and works. His saving work was aimed at saving a people for himself. And so we come as a people to thank him. That is, I don't, think I, can, I don't think I can say it any better than that at the end. Promise, at the end of the day, we worship because it's who we are. We spent some time last week imagining this God. And by nature of who he is, he deserves our worship. He really does. The way in which we're obedient to him, that stuff can get boring. That stuff can get frustrating. I, I understand that. I really do. One of the things that I've learned being in ministry, even for just a short time, is you question everything you do in church because you want to find value in it all. And sometimes the things that you think are valuable might not be. And again, I feel like I could just keep rambling about this stuff because I'm just really passionate about it. So, um, but I'm, I'm going to save you all that for the next few weeks and we'll, just, we'll stop there. Promise, God is worthy of our worship. We gather on Sunday to remind ourselves of that every week. And not only by doing that do we celebrate who he is and act in obedience to him, we actually get the opportunity to build each other through that. And as we continue through this series, we'll talk a bit more about that. So let me end in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you have made a way for us to worship you. God, that you've prescribed it for us. You've invited us into it. God, I pray that you would give us the strength and willingness to be obedient. God, give us a spirit of selflessness as we take the step and remind ourselves each week, God, Sunday isn't just something we do because I have to. God, Sunday is what we do because we believe in you. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing in a community of people who has faithful stories of your faithfulness. God, I ask that as we continue through this series, you would empower us, you would lead us. God, that your words would be spoken to our hearts. God, transforming who we are. God, transforming our understanding of this gathering that we've done for years through generations. God, help us to understand and see the value of it in every small, every big moment, every small moment. God, that we would celebrate each other as a community, build each other up. Lord, I thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Promise. Hope you all have a great week. Just a reminder again, we're doing our Adopted Street stuff. And also, Ron Dyer is leading his Life of Christ stuff every Wednesday. You've got to come to that. I'm doing a, a, sermon, a, a sermon on Jesus next week, but he will give you a lot more about Jesus. So you need to be there, be there, and we'll see you next week. See ya.